1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 1 to 8. You yourselves know, brothers and sisters, that our coming to you was not in vain, but though we had already suffered and been shamefully mistreated at Philippi, as you know, we had courage in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in spite of great opposition. For our appeal does not spring from deceit or impure motives or trickery, but just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the message of the gospel, even so we speak, not to please mortals, but to please God who tests our hearts. As you know, and as God is our witness, we never came with words of flattery or with a pretext for greed. Nor did we seek praise from mortals, whether from you or from others. Though we might have made demands as apostles of Christ, but we were gentle among you, like a nurse tenderly caring for her own children. So deeply do we care for you that we are determined to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves, because you have become very dear to us. The Gospel reading comes from Matthew 22, verses 34 to 46. When the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together, and one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, which commandment in the law is the greatest? He said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the greatest and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. Now, while the Pharisees were gathered together, Jesus asked them this question. What do you think of the Messiah? Whose son is he? They said to him, The son of David. He said to them, How is it then that David by the Spirit calls him Lord, saying, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. If David thus calls him Lord, how can he be his son? No one was able to give him an answer. Nor from that day did anyone dare to ask him any more questions. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Hopefully everybody is still with me and the technology is cooperating and you can hear me and see me. Uh, the Pharisees in the gospel message that we, we just heard seem to be quite a lot different than the apostles uh, the, that were traveling with, working with Paul in the early church. Who, who said, we could have demanded things of you, but we weren't interested in 
the perks. We weren't looking for a job with good benefits. We are out here trying to do what we're doing because we love God, not because we're trying to make money. So to compare uh, the preaching of the Pharisees and the apostles, the Pharisees might have been like some of those prosperity gospel folks. They get on, get on your screen and they just want you to sow a little seed. And they don't, they don't mind if you've got it or not, or whether or not you can afford it. They might buy a new plane with it. Who knows what they're going to do. But they won't be mad. The Pharisees like that their role makes them look good. It gives them social status. And they expect Jesus to say something to this question that they'll be able to use against him. They try to trip him up again. Now this time they send a lawyer after him. So they've, so they've got Giuliani out there, some ancient equivalent. They send him to Jesus and he asks, Teacher, which commandment of the law is the greatest? To believe that this question would have put Jesus in a compromising position, to me, that implies that the people doing the asking think that Jesus is just as self-serving and grandiose as they are, just as manipulative as they are. You see, they didn't just want to discredit Jesus. They also wanted to justify themselves in the way they were running. The way they were running the show. The way they were manipulating their position and their power and their privilege at the expense of other people. They were doing things in the name of God, doing things in the name of their religion. But they were only using religion as a cover. And they really must have thought they had Jesus this time. After all, this is the last question that they ask him. If you heard the last sentence of, of the gospel reading, they didn't ask him any more questions after this. Now they tangled with him multiple times. Now they've, they've had all kinds of different debates about things that were mysterious or philosophical. This question uh, had a clear answer. Everybody would have known this one. It's like they're scraping the bottom of the barrel now, looking for him to make just sort of a rookie mistake. You see, everybody knows that Deuteronomy says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, your mind, and your soul. That's a Sunday school answer. But maybe when Jesus gives the answer, he'll slip up somehow, say something he shouldn't have said. Or maybe, since we already think he's, he's disobeying the Sabbath and he's kind of coming across sideways, he'll say something to this lawyer that he shouldn't have said. And since they think that Jesus is like they are, of course, they assume there's a pretty good chance that he'll say something they can use against him. Because imagine how somebody uh, like 
the Pharisees I described would have answered the question if you can. Just turn your imagination on. Just imagine not a real politician or lawyer or 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 anything like that. Just a fake one in your head. Could be anybody. You see, if this if the guy who sent this lawyer out to try to stir up this dissent and this confusion, if he had been asked the question, what is the greatest commandment? Maybe he would have said something, and again, this could be anybody, maybe he would have said something like, many people are saying it, folks. It's the greatest commandment. They could be right. They say, love God. Hey, hey, nobody loves God more than me. You know it. Everybody knows it. Nobody loves God more than I do. I love his book. It's almost as good as mine. I've got the biggest commandment, the most beautiful commandment, the greatest commandment. But this Jesus, he's treating me really unfairly, folks. This guy's fake news. Let me tell you, he asks, he asks questions, nasty, the nastiest questions. Like, who is the Messiah? He's been doing ministry three years. What has he done? He hasn't gotten anything done, folks. He's just another prophet. He's all talk. He's all talk. He'll have the Romans raise your taxes. That's what he wants. I can tell you, nobody gets more unfair treatment than me. Maybe they were expecting Jesus. To give that kind of answer to what should be a pretty straightforward and simple question. If this is the answer the Pharisees expected Jesus to give, it's probably because it's the kind of answer they were used to giving. It's interesting, crooks and con men think everybody is out to get them because they're out to get everybody. Uh, And people who lie a lot for some reason tend to hate getting lied to. Have you ever noticed that cheaters are always suspicious of other people? What is that about? They say that they love God because they know it's the right answer. They know that's what plays well. They know that they can spin that into something they can keep using. They have a picture. They've got a picture of that guy holding the Bible. Might as well be upside down for as much use as he gets out of it. You can get your picture taken in front of a church you never go to if you want to. But if you're abusing people on your way to that church, you don't get to say that you did it because you love God so much. As usual, Jesus not only has the right answer, but he also has a rebuke to the lie that the the religious teachers have been living with that loving God means to treat other people like they're expendable. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. He says is indeed the greatest commandment and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor like you love yourself. You can't keep all your private rituals and keep all the laws and say you love God while you are dehumanizing other people. You can't do all of those religious things 
while you're actively trying to take rights away from other people or to keep them from having happy, healthy families or to keep them from marrying who they want to marry. Why? Why not? Why can't we? Because love in the Bible, and remember the commandment is to love, you need to know what love means. Love in the Bible is not talking about something passive. It's not even talking about something that's purely emotional. When we talk about love, we are talking about being good citizens. When we talk about being a good citizen, we are talking about being a people that is political. Love in scripture, you see, is real, concrete action. It's the policies you support and you make that lead to better health and more human dignity for everybody else in your community. The Greek word that we turn into our word love, it's much bigger as a concept than what you might think of at first. It's it's a loving kindness. It's a steadfastness. It's a contract between you and I and everybody else around us. It's a commitment to the practice of active mercy. Alert, awake, on, always, constant, continuous. Picture a fountain flowing from an endless supply, it will never run dry. Now imagine that the water is justice and mercy and love and freedom. Imagine that it flows continuously for all eternity, washing away all the broken systems that hurt us and separate us us and pit us against one another in shame and blame. And you have imagined a picture of love. Always on the move, real, impactful. See, we're not talking about something you just feel, but something you commit yourself to and something you commit yourself to doing. And doing that continually, just like God does for you just like you hope other people will do for you. Everybody's all about grace and love and mercy when you're talking about you. But do you want to extend that to other people? What is the greatest commandment? That's the last question those religious folks ask Jesus. Now they're hoping that he will say something so they can call him less godly than they are. But Jesus only raises the stakes. Janine K. Brown, uh, in her biblical commentary on the passage, she says, Jesus' answer fits well with his teaching on the law and the Torah across Matthew. Jesus has already demonstrated that the right interpretation of Torah must view all of God's commands through the lens of the weightier matters of the Torah, consisting of justice, mercy, and faithfulness. So Jesus cited Hosea 6.6 in Matthew 9.13 and 12.7, emphasizing mercy as central 
to reading and obeying Torah. And he has highlighted love of neighbor as the pinnacle command of the Torah. So as readers of Matthew, we're not surprised by Jesus' citation of Deuteronomy 6.5 and Leviticus 19.18. Love God with all your heart, your mind, and your soul, and love your neighbor as yourself as the greatest commands upon which all the law and the prophets hang. We're not surprised because we already know where Jesus has come from and we already know where Jesus is going. We have the gift of foresight. And so for us, it's especially ugly when we want to come around talking about who gets to be in and out of God's house, who gets to sit at God's table, who gets to eat God's food. I think what Jesus is trying to say is that people use the Bible to keep other people down. If people use the Bible to discriminate, he's saying to those people, you got to read the whole thing. You don't get to just know Deuteronomy, love God, and then be very religious and tell everybody how religious you are and love how much people love you being religious, how much you pray and how you do all the right offerings, have your name on the pew. You gotta also know that it comes with and cannot be removed from loving your neighbor just like you love yourself. And second, I think Jesus is saying, don't pretend to understand things you don't actually know about. Don't pretend to know things that you don't know. It is okay to say, I don't know. I say it all the time. But what many people like to do, especially on the most complicated things, religion and politics, is act like they know. They don't know. They come around with their substitute answer and it just so happens to really hurt some people and it's not even right it's not even the right answer and that's when they use religion as a cover and if you want to know what Jesus thinks about that well you just read the next chapter of Matthew because he it is his time to speak he has reclaimed his time And he does not mince words at all with the hypocrisy that is so common in religion so many times. So now it's Jesus' turn to ask the questions, and he asks, who is the Messiah? Whose son is he? When they answer him, the son of David, their answer is accurate, but it's also inadequate. Now, maybe you've had your children give you one of those accurate, inadequate answers from time to time. You wanted to know where they've been, and they pop off with an outside. Accurate, but not adequate. It's missing the who, what, when, why that the question clearly implied. 
that's the kind of thing liable to earn some children somewhere trouble they weren't looking for, depending on the household. The implication of the question Jesus asks them carries with it the reality that the teachers themselves aren't sure just who the Messiah will be or how he will redeem Israel. They don't realize that the answer to this riddle is the one doing the riddling. Jesus himself as word become flesh is both the one that David will call Lord at the same time as the son of David promised to come in the same way that the dark powers of the world's religions, nations, and corporations can't see the light of Christ, so too are they threatened by the true, active, committed, and liberating love that Christ is inviting us into today. So know today that the invitation is always open. Because you know now what the greatest commandments are. Love God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, and love your neighbor as yourself. And on these two things hang all the law and all the prophets. So, the doors of our building may be closed, but now and always the door of Christ's church are open. Will you respond to God's invitation to walk in the light and to be a beacon of light in the world today? Will you walk in love, not just for yourself, not just for God, but for your neighbor? And who is my neighbor? Always with those legal questions. (laughs) Every bird Every creeping, crawly thing, every blade of grass, every person on the, on the earth, every part of creation is a neighbor that you are invited today to walk in love beside. Come into God's love today. Bring somebody with you. Amen. Thank you. Thank you for being together to this afternoon, uh, working, working through the technical difficulties. Thank you for letting me know there was a technical difficulty and not just letting me carry on all on my lonesome. Uh, it is good to see all of you. We will be turning our attention to the great blessing that the dance ministry has for us. You can find that on... Ooh, Penelope is going to run the aisle in a minute. That was, must have been preaching pretty good. This is a Pentecostal cat back here, y'all. You never know what she's going to do. Uh, you can find uh, the next part of our service on Yvonne's page. You hopefully can find it on mine. We'll see how the technology works. Uh, but I am praying for you. I love you all. Please consider uh, contributing financially to our ministry so that we can expand what we're able to do. And with all of that being said, Yvonne, let's keep on praising God today.